This is for Dosafaruk with MedTech Insight. Today I'm speaking with Mark Leahy, the CEO of the Medical Device Manufacturers Association. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us. You know, with a new administration at the helm and a new Congress with a very different power structure, how does that change the lobbying work that you do? Well, Danny, first off, again, thanks for the opportunity. We're excited for uh, the year ahead. Uh, as you noted, uh, there are a number of uh, new players here in Washington, obviously, with a change in the administration uh, and a change in the Senate. But I think when, you know, based on my two decades at MDMA, what I've always been proud of is our ability to work across the aisles in a bipartisan manner, whether it's on FDA issues, reimbursement, or repealing the device tax. And so uh, while there's certainly new uh, personnel, both in coming into the administration and 60 new members, members up on Capitol Hill, I think from our perspective, it doesn't change our approach uh, as it relates to advocacy. It's uh, a fact-based exercise where we bring data to the table. Uh, talk about the real-world impact of policies, and then work across the aisle in a bipartisan manner to move things forward. So that's really the approach that's worked for uh, the past 20 years since I've been at MDMA, and that will continue in 2021. You know, with the Biden administration implementing the Defense Production Act to ramp up testing and production of personal protective equipment, what does that mean to you and your members? Well, you know, obviously... Um, you know, we are uh, at war with this uh, virus. And so um, I think there's an appreciation uh, both in the Trump administration and now with the Biden administration that's an all-hands-on-deck approach. Uh, and so, you know, we look forward to working with President Biden and his team to make sure that the U.S. has the capability to manufacture critical supplies uh, to battle the uh, the virus. And we also want to make sure, too, that as, as we move forward here, in addition to prioritizing, you know, oftentimes our members require components and the DPA allows that preference to uh, be utilized for medical products uh, to combat COVID. And then as we look more broadly here, obviously, we do serve a global marketplace. So it's just working with the administration to make sure there are no unintended consequences that would disrupt the ability of, of products uh, to flow across the globe. You know, the, the president uh, also issued an executive order uh, to have products made in the U.S. You were kind of talking about that supply chain issue. Uh, what do you guys think about that? You know, trying to focus on trying to get U.S. manufactured goods um, rather than, you know, goods produced elsewhere. Sure. Well, you know, uh, our industry is uh, the world leader in medical te technology, innovation and manufacturing. Uh, and so efforts to make that uh, manufacturing base more robust is certainly something uh, we support. And, and we know that it has bipartisan support up on Capitol Hill. There are a number of policies here that would provide additional incentives uh, to enhance and make the U.S. manufacturing process more robust. So uh, support those efforts 100 percent. I think one of the things we just have to make sure is that there's no unintended consequences and what's that horizon in which, um, you know, the efforts to reassure take place. Because, again, particularly in the midst of a, a, a global pandemic here, we wouldn't want to do anything that would limit the supply of critical products coming into the U.S. So uh, again, understand and, and support uh, the focus and, and the, uh, the mission and look forward to working with the administration to execute. You know, uh, speaking of the global pandemic, there was a lot of uh, issues that probably couldn't be dealt with last year. Uh, but this year, what are your legislative priorities um, in 2021? Well, you know, obviously, first and foremost, it's, it's still battling the virus. Um, you know, COVID has uh, continued to rage across the U.S. and across the globe. So I know our members are focused on bringing additional cutting-edge diagnosis to the marketplace. A number of, uh, again, uh, technologies that are helping uh, on the front lines of COVID, and that will continue. And as you know, in addition to uh, those patients battling COVID, um, 
the healthcare system was really challenged, uh, particularly in the spring uh, when elective procedures were paused, and that delayed and deferred um, care, uh, I think, uh, could compound some of the uh, patient outcomes. So as we look forward here, it's obviously battling uh, the virus, but making sure that the non-COVID patients still have access to the healthcare system that they need. Um, and beyond those kind of COVID-related dynamics, I think, obviously, and I'm sure we'll get into this in greater detail, uh, we will be starting the MIDU for five uh, reauthorization process and negotiation. So obviously that's the opportunity every five years to sit down with FDA and other stakeholders to determine the best ways to enhance the, the regulatory process, process, make that efficient, effective, while not compromising the, the gold standard of, of FDA safety profile. Um, also, we look to build upon um, some of the important efforts uh, related to not just to the regulatory landscape, but to the reimbursement landscape. Um, you know, for the last six years, we've been advocating for ways to, to narrow that gap between the regulatory and the reimbursement decisions. And we're thrilled uh, after uh, CMS released and then ultimately finalized this January, uh, the MSIT uh, rule, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So having that implemented, obviously, is a, a critical issue. Um, and then, again, there's a number of issues we're working on, but maybe the last one I'll touch on here uh, is the possibility for cures, uh, 21st Century Cures 2.0. Um, you know, that's just a bipartisan bill that uh, at the time, Vice President Biden really led from an administration standpoint to, um, you know, provide additional funding for innovation. Obviously, his efforts on the cancer moonshot were critical, uh, and that was an overwhelmingly bipartisan bill that um, really did stimulate investment and promote uh, accelerated patient access for medical technologies and, and other uh uh, medical products. And I think there's a bipartisan interest to explore coming up in the five-year anniversary. If there's a, a, an opportunity for 2.0 to continue to build upon the progress of the initial 21st Century Cures Act. And again, I think there, a number of the reforms were, were focused on the regulatory side. And I think there's an opportunity here to address some of the uh, coding coverage and payment challenges. There's a lot there. I, I do want to go back to the Medufa issue, but I kind of want to first talk a little about, you know, you've you laid out a lot of issues here. What are some of the more critical issues to uh, your organization? I know you guys uh, represent typically, you know, the smaller medical device companies. What issues do you think are the most critical to the smaller companies? Sure. Well, you know, again, as I said, coming up in two decades here at MDMA, I think, you know, our DNA, uh, I, I call our characterize ourselves as we're represent the innovators, innovators and the entrepreneurs. Um, there are companies that were 30 million in sales uh, when I started at MDMA in 2001, and they're up now over a billion dollars. So I think what you represent, obviously, a tremendous uh, number of small companies, those companies have evolved. And again, I think uh, I would characterize our membership are really driving the entrepreneurs and innovators driving the industry forward. And those tend to be the, the companies that aren't kind of making the Me Too products. They're disruptive, huge clinical impact, but often they don't have a well-worn regulatory pathway or a reimbursement pathway. And so that's why, you know, finding ways to enhance collaboration between the regulators, the innovators is a, a consistent goal for ours. And then for those entrepreneurs and innovators who have, um, you know, they're working on their first product, obviously, you know, inefficiencies or slowdowns with FDAs or lag between when something gets approved by the FDA and gets reimbursement in place. If you're a single product company, those delays become much more acute and harder kind of, uh, you know, uh, navigate. So, um, you know, as we look to uh, the issues of importance and talking to our members, I, I think it's just greater consistency, predictability, timeliness when it comes to the regulatory landscape and the reimbursement landscape and strong IP. I think that those are kind of at the forefront of uh, some of the key 
uh, foundational issues that we have worked on uh, over two decades and will continue moving forward in 2021. You know, one of the things that we witnessed throughout this whole pandemic is there seemed to be a difference of opinion between the leadership of the FDA and HHS on a number of issues. Uh, was that at all concerning to you? And what do you think that could mean for the medtech industry? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, from our perspective, it is critical that all decisions made by the FDA are driven by the science and not politics. Um, and I think it's clear that the new administration is seeking to address these concerns, um, you know, particularly when you have uh, Dr. Woodcock named as the acting FDA commissioner, obviously a longtime uh, professional uh, uh, at uh, Cedar, and I think understands the tremendous work that the professional staff at FDA does. I think that really demonstrates a commitment to uh, making sure that, again, the decisions that FDA makes are grounded in science, have the support of the professional team, and aren't um, influenced by uh, external forces here. Because as we've seen with you know, vaccine development and elsewhere, um, there's already uh, some inherent mistrust in society. And I think the last thing you'd want to do is compound that by uh, you know, the perception that um, decisions are uh, are being made for anything other than the, the scientific uh, data that's provided. Do you feel like, uh, you know, over the past couple of months that we have seen more uh, decisions that were based uh, on politics rather than science? You know, I think Dr. Hahn did an incredible job um, to constantly reiterate that uh, there weren't any shortcuts going to be taken, that the, the professional staff would drive the decision on the vaccines. Um, certainly, I think at times, at least based on media reports, uh, it seems like there were some healthy debates uh, between uh, Dr. Hahn and, and folks at HHS within the administration. Um, and, you know, it also from a, a rulemaking perspective or, uh, you know, there were things uh, in the late stages there that um, uh, indicated uh, maybe HHS putting the thumb on the scale. But um, already we've seen, uh, I think, with the incoming uh, the Biden team in place, um, you know, those will either be rescinded, uh, withdrawn and won't have a material impact. So I'm confident uh, that uh, as we look ahead to 2021, that FDA will uh, uh, be shielded from, um, you know, external political influences and will let the, the data and the science drive their decisions. I'm going to go back to the MEDUFA discussions. You know, the, as our readers know, the MEDUFA is the Medical Device User Fee Amendments negotiations, which, uh, you know, have been significantly delayed. And that would be an understatement. Are you at all worried about the time frame that it's been forced to follow because of the pandemic? Um, and also, uh, when is the next one coming up? We heard that it was going to be at the end of this month. You know, Danny, I've had the pleasure of of representing the industry uh, negotiating team. Uh, this will be the fifth time. So every UFA here negotiating with FDA. Um, and sometimes we've had short windows. Sometimes we've had long windows. As I'll say as a negotiator, I think whatever time we're given, we will use. That's just kind of the nature of, of a negotiation. Uh, and obviously, um, through no fault of anyone's, but the, the public health emergency and COVID required FDA's attention, required industry's attention. So, um, you know, we would have certainly liked to have begun the process earlier, but I remain confident that um, we will be able to, um, you know, looking at the timeline here, FDA needs to transmit uh, the MEDUFA uh, agreement to Congress by January of 2022, um, and so it's a year from now. So again, you know, I think we'll have uh, hopefully uh, begin the negotiations in short order. Um, work vigorously through the spring and summer, hopefully reach an agreement, and then it can go through the clearance process, um, public meeting, and transmit it to Congress. So um, it's a bit compressed uh, in previous negotiations, but I also think it's important, and I'm sure we'll get into this, that you know, from industry's perspective, and we shared this at the public stakeholder meeting in October, 
we've made significant investments in the user fee program over the first four iterations to now well over a billion dollars in Medufa 4. And, um, you know, in our conversations with FDA, particularly on Medufa 4, they said this would be the last kind of, quote, big investment that we required from the industry to get the program to where they think that it would need to be. And then moving forward to be more kind of a maintenance of a program. And so, again, I think collectively the industry is aligned that, um, you know, the focus of Medufa 5 should be uh, targeted investments. First, you know, let's follow through on the Medufa 4 goals that haven't been uh, met to make sure that those are fulfilled. Um, there's also a number of uh, Medufa uh, funded FTEs that are currently on positions that are unfilled and vacant. So let's make sure that those uh, folks that we're paying for right now are in the seats at FBA. There's also a, a reserve fund of about $150 million uh, in place that uh, we feel should be uh, tapped before any additional resources are are, are, are looked upon by industry. So, uh, and, and then when we have that assessment, again, we're looking to uh, make additional enhancements and targeted refinements here, but, you know, we're not looking for a, a sweeping overhaul of the program. And given that perspective, uh, I'm confident that we should be able to, to work through this negotiation in short order. I think you listed a number of things there that are your priorities for uh, the negotiations, but are there any legislative priorities in there uh, that, you know, you can see me maybe being added into a final package to act as a, de- a delivery vehicle when uh, the Medufa negotiations are complete and they're sent to Congress for, you know, their sign off? You know, that's obviously something that... Um Congress will ultimately have uh, this, the ultimate say in. I think one area of focus uh, that there seems to be bipartisan interest around uh, is the Valid Act. Again, um, looking at ways to have more consistency and continuity uh, on the regulation of diagnostic tests, whether they be lab developed or by the OEM. So I think that's an area um, where one could see a user fee agreement coming and riding along with potentially uh, the valid actually should be riding along with the Medufa agreement. Um, but traditionally, you know, the, the cleaner the bill, uh, the package, uh, the simpler it is to move as well. So, um, you know, nothing, nothing comes to mind right now. Uh, but again, I, I think when one looks ahead here in the crystal ball, um, you know, the valid act is one that, um, likely will have a consideration if there can be bipartisan agreement on, um, on final language. Over this past year, I know as an organization, you guys probably have had to make some adjustments. Are there certain things that will return to normal after the pandemic for you as an organization? And are there certain things that you think are now going to be the new normal? Well, you know, obviously, like uh, many of your other readers and listeners, and as we were just chatting, the you know, the pandemic has required a more virtual environment that goes for just not only as MDMA as an organization, but the opportunity to interact with our members um, you know, in person at a variety of meetings and also interact with members of Congress and their staff and, and uh, you know, officials at FDA and CMS. But I will say that technology, you know, we have the, the resilience and DNA of our member companies of, you know, you, you see a, a bump on the road, you try to smooth it out and overcome it. And um, I've just been extremely impressed with with the team and the members, you know, using virtual platforms here to move forward with all our meetings. And, you know, the participation was actually greater than if we had them in person. I think that virtual platform allowed more people to engage uh, the tools to make the uh, meetings interactive uh, resulted in more questions being asked and answered. Um, and I suspect that those, some of those tools will continue um, into 2021 uh, and beyond. But you also can't replace, I think, the value of face-to-face personal interactions. And so I know that, um, you know, uh, 
we look forward to, as an organization to be able to host our members to allow that sharing information face to face, the networking to take place, and also the opportunity to engage policymakers face to face. Again, we're making the best out of the current situation. Um, but as a lot of these big ticket items will be discussed, debated in Capitol Hill, you know, the opportunities for executives who are in the trenches with their companies to share their firsthand experiences face to face, you know, nothing replaces that. So um, God willing, we'll be able to turn the page on the virus and the pandemic at uh, some part of uh, 2021 and, and hopefully by the, the summer, fall, um, the ability to interact face to face will uh Will present itself again. Well, are, are there lessons from the pandemic that you think um, the medtech industry in general will take away to better prepare for the next pandemic or crisis? You know, I think the one of the, the lessons I think the public is realizing from uh, the situation is the tremendous value that our industry provides to the American public and, quite frankly, to patients across the globe. Uh, again, from the diagnostic side to the monitoring side to the, the PPE. Uh, these are all critical medical supplies and products that uh, have been on the front lines. You know, uh, when it comes to lessons learned, and again, we're still in the midst of, of this fight here, so there's continuous learning here. I think the ability to scale and ramp production has certainly been uh, an opportunity, a lesson learned. But I think our hope here is, too, that uh, as we look ahead, um, uh, that there is more uh, that can be done to make sure that there is additional flex capacity for some of these critical medical products. And we talked to a member uh, who was involved in, in the manufacturing of PPE, and this started uh, as a result of Ebola. And after that came and went, there were you know commitments from the government as far as buying minimums, and then those those fell by the wayside, and they literally mothballed the facility in in the summer of 2019 because there weren't there weren't sustaining orders that were coming in, and obviously you know that type of capacity would have been uh, critical if, if that was available you know to help flex up, and I think those are the types of things we're hopeful um, that as we go forward here, it's not just about bringing resources together to meet the immediate needs, but structurally, what do we need to do to maintain that muscle memory and that capacity? So if we need to flex up, and again, this is an extraordinary circumstance where, you know, people will characterize, you know, some things as quote unquote shortages. I mean, this is a, a, a once in a, a lifetime uh, scenario where there is a, you know, 7 billion person demand on certain products. Usually if these things happen historically, it's in a particular country or geographic region. So the size and scope of this is certainly one that we have never experienced in our lifetimes. Um, and so I think that's there's an opportunity to make sure that uh, we keep a long-term view here. And again, not just from the capacity going forward, but making sure that the national stockpile is in strong position, I think, again, through uh, both parties leaving the White House that had deteriorated um, ways to evolve uh, that national stockpile, I think, is important as well. And, and the other final piece of this that, that um, you know, I think the biggest takeaway here is that, um, you know, collaboration, coordination, both from the private and the public sector is absolutely critical to uh, have early visibility as to what the, the challenges are, where the opportunities are to address and just have that, um, you know, constant communication, because if that uh, doesn't exist, it just slows the, the process for all involved. So hopefully, again, I think the, you know, where we were as far as collaborating, communicating uh, with government officials, you know, uh, in the in the winter compared to the spring dramatically improved. And we hope that that just continues uh, going forward with the um, 
President Biden and his team. It, it also sounds like maybe there needs to be discussion about uh, supply chain resiliency. You know, as you kind of mentioned geographically, if you can't get your products from a certain part of the world, then suddenly you know you can't um, continue to do business or. Uh, you can't pr- provide life-saving products. Do you think that's something again that you know the industry is going to be talking about now more because of all this experience? Yeah, I think that, that's certainly going to be a component of it. I think you know from the companies we work with, um, there is redundancy in the supply chain, so companies don't have all their eggs in one basket when it comes to a manufacturing site or a component site. Um, and I think the stress there also is minimized dramatically if uh, there is robustness in the initial stockpiling here. So again, whether it was masks or gloves or other things, um, you know, ventilators, these things were depleted again through uh, multiple administrations to a point where uh, it was insufficient. And then those products actually in the the strategic stockpile uh, had been expired and and were no longer in use. So, um, you know, things that Congress had been looking for and and moved forward on in previous bills that allowing, you know, to sell out of the stockpile so that uh, those, the products in there are always uh, fresh and not expired. And as you noted, how do we have, you know, flexibility, more domestic manufacturing capabilities and, and, and multi sourcing. These are all things that, you know, companies have in place right now. And I'm sure there are opportunities to enhance that going forward. Looking back at this past year, uh, what are some of your biggest accomplishments? Uh, what are some of your, the biggest issues that you've had to deal with, um, you know, that slowed uh, down because of the pandemic. Um, uh, could you talk about that a little bit? I just think, you know, the, the, the biggest accomplishment, I think, is just the industry stepping up uh, in a critical time of need uh, to address uh, this public health emergency and, and, and play a critical role in the front lines. Just, you know, so proud of our nearly 300 member companies, um, those, you know, directly associated with covid those who were in robotic surgery or orthopedics kind of retrofitted lines to make masks and other products that were needed in the early days. So this truly was an all hands on deck approach from the industry's perspective. As it relates to the association, it's so proud of, of the team and kind of the rapid response and work uh, of our industry. And again, the association to confront the pandemic and, and the issues that were coming in, you know, this Again, being here 20 years, the scope and breadth of issues that came across our desk uh, in real time was was staggering. And I just give you a quick example. You know, in the early days when a lot of lockdowns were happening across the, the nation, um, essential employees were allowed to continue to work in medical device companies. We worked with Sizen and Homeland Security to ensure that medical device uh, employees were deemed essential. Um but in some of the states, it wasn't a comprehensive definition of, of a medical device company. You know, ours was saying everyone upstream, downstream to the manufacturer is essential. For example, in, in Pennsylvania, medical device companies were essential, but paper manufacturers and metal fabricators weren't. Well, in those early days, we had companies making the early diagnostics for COVID. And without their paper manufacturer, they couldn't get the instructions for use and the labeling done to get that product, that diagnostic out to the marketplace. And for our companies making ventilators in Western Pennsylvania, they need the metal fabricators to help out. And without those metal fabricators in place, those ventilators weren't being made. And so, you know, that required us to engage with our companies, with members of Congress, with the governor of Pennsylvania. And ultimately, that they were resolved. But, you know, those are the types of things that, um, you know, working 18 hours a day, seven days a week for literally six months straight uh, to make sure that our members were able to serve the patients in, in greatest need during this public health emergency. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. You know, I always want to end uh, my interviews with you uh, with the question, is there anything I haven't touched that you think is worth mentioning? You know, I just say, Danny, uh, again, 
you know, one of the biggest accomplishments outside of COVID, I think, when we looked at 2020, was the the MSIT rule uh, being put out for comment and then uh, finalized in January. You know, this is a culmination of a six-year effort that we've had working both administrations, uh, President Obama and President Trump and their teams and the professional staff at CMS trying to find ways, again, to narrow that gap between the regulatory and the reimbursement landscape. Um, and obviously, we're thrilled with the final rule coming out, but now it is caught up in a, a broader administrative pause uh, that is typical when new administrations come in. So I think, you know, it is critically important that uh, and we'll be working with the, the, the Biden administration to get MSIT implemented as quickly as possible. Uh, and as we look ahead here as well, just the importance. Coverage is a, a critical component, obviously, um, but making sure that coding uh, and payment is also established here to ensure beneficiary access. And so, you know, we're also very pleased with the uh, Office of uh, Technology coding and pricing at CMS now as well to have kind of a, a one-stop shop that allows innovators to um, uh, you know kind of break down the silos at CMS between coding coverage and payment have a more holistic approach so again I think that's uh, something that uh, uh, you know, we're very excited about going forward and then finally just looking at the as you, we started this discussion of just the the tremendous shift uh, in Washington as it relates to the personnel and the power structure um, and there will be a lot of activity on the COVID front and beyond. We discussed we're in that cycle of every five years of reauthorizing the Medufa program. And so I just you know, tell all your listeners it's critically important to make sure you know, your voice is heard in these debates and discussions. We know your job is to, to drive value for your shareholders um, and oftentimes can't keep your eyes and ears open to what's going on in Washington. But you know, groups like ours and others uh, really value uh, the partnership we have with the industry and just make sure that you know, your voice is heard that you're engaging with the 60 new members up on Capitol Hill with new personnel at FDA and CMS, because again, we've got a great story to tell as an industry. We're improving patient care. We're job creators. We're driving, you know, high-tech manufacturing in the future. And uh, we just have to make sure that every oar is in the water to to advance here in these um, these very uh, challenging times. Well, Mark, thank you so much again for taking the time to speak to me. I hope uh, we keep talking. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm glad that you guys are doing well and you are safe. Uh, and I hope you stay that way. Thanks, Danny. Same to you. It's uh you know, obviously, a lot of uh, uh, challenges ahead, but I'm confident together working with the industry, working with uh, public policy officials, we'll get through this. And you just do a great service uh, to the readers, keeping them informed of all the developments. So thanks for the time today and for all your great work.